Happy feast day. Happy feast day, Father. Yes, yeah, so good to be here with all of you too on this feast day. I'm certainly grateful uh, for all of our feast day workers, volunteers, who made this little gathering afterwards possible, the knights who set up the tent, staff and other volunteers who coordinated and worked so that we might enjoy one another's company. I'm certainly grateful for them. You know, the culture in general and parish culture in particular is rooted, as the word suggests, in cult, in what we do here. It's built up principally here, but it's supported and nourished by all these other ways in which we share life together. So I encourage you, share life together. Help to build up this culture. Come after Mass. I certainly am grateful for those who've assisted and really for all of you. You know, a startup parish is not easy. It's challenging. There are many who, you know, would prefer a ready-made parish, ready-made programs, ready-made buildings. But here, it's not the case. It's a challenge placed before us. It reminded me of this debate that occurred in the Roman Republic somewhere in the second century B.C. There were those who were arguing that Rome, in its power, should finally annihilate Carthage, its nemesis, its mortal enemy. There were others, and I think it was Cato, who was a soldier and a senator, who was advocating, arguing that, no, we should let them exist because it's helpful to have an opponent, someone who challenges us from the outside, because without that, communities, nations, people tend to become complacent, lethargic, corrupt on the inside, and unable then to repel aggression from without. Of course, they didn't listen to Cato. They destroyed Carthage, and as the story goes, they sowed salt in their soil so that they could never grow anything there again. And then only later was Cato proved true when the Romans could no longer defend themselves from the attacking fiends because they had become driven by vice, corrupted on the inside. Challenges are helpful so that we might not become complacent. So I'm certainly grateful for all of you who are persevering in this challenge placed before us. I'm grateful for these past two plus years that I've been here. No doubt that's contributed to the challenges for you, uh, but it's been good, good for me. It's hard to been, have believed that it's been two years that we've been in this building. Two years here, it's been a grace. And it's hard for me to believe it's been a year since I was in Poland on pilgrimage. I left, I think, just right after this feast day celebration. You know, one of the places that I visited was this city on the outskirts of Krakow called Nova Huta. It's one of the largest socialist settlements ever built. Now, it was built as a utopian city, this ideal city, what a city should be built intentionally with God out of the picture. Churches were prohibited from being constructed. It was governed by the People's Republic of Poland, 
which was a satellite state of the Soviet Union. That puppet government presented itself as the face of authentic humanism. Here's what human life should be. We know it and can present it to you. They presented themselves as representative of what the Polish people truly wanted. Now, one of the ways this absurd claim was revealed for what it was by John Paul II, who was the Cardinal Archbishop of Krakow at the time, was by his celebrating midnight mass in Nova Huta. The government denied his request for permission to build a church, so he would celebrate mass outdoors in freezing temperatures with thousands of Catholics in attendance. Look, he was saying to the government, you claim to be the representative of the people. Well, they obviously want and need a church. So grant them permission. The human heart is more expansive than what the state can provide. Now, after about eight years of year-round outdoor masses, which kind of puts our situation into perspective, doesn't it? After about eight years of outdoor masses and request to build, permission finally came. At the dedication of the church, it's called the Ark Church, like Noah's Ark weathering the storm. At that dedication, after 10 years of construction, John Paul II said this, He said, this is not a city of people who belong to no one, a people to whom one may do whatever one wants, who may be manipulated according to the laws or rules of production and consumption. This is a city of the children of God. This temple was necessary so that this could be expressed, that it could be emphasized. You see, John Paul II was doing precisely what Jesus said to do in the gospel. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. This wasn't just a clever, pithy response stating our inherited worldview, church and state are separate. Now, Christ's words were an affront to the political order of the day. Thus far may Caesar go, and no farther, he was saying. The state or government has a role to play, but it's not all-encompassing. Yet this wasn't some kind of simplistic church-state separation. Jesus unveiled the deception that Caesar, that your government, can provide the fullness of life for which the human heart longs. You see, the Caesars had assumed the title Divus Caesar, divine Caesar, God Caesar. And faithful Roman citizens, those who wanted to stay alive, were to venerate or worship him as such. But Jesus was saying, Caesar is not a god. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They're not one and the same thing. By so doing, Jesus provided a realistic warning to people of all times. Don't look to the state to fulfill all your expectations. That's a burden it simply cannot bear. And get this, by spelling out the limits of the government, this is Caesar's, this is not, Jesus clearly is communicating that the government is not qualified to speak on every subject. Do you see that? Jesus created a space free from the authority of the Caesar, a space for conscience, for personal freedom, 
which note is not identified as an emotion or the ability to do anything or as an inner voice which is its own standard or rule. But what did he say? Render, repay, give to God what is God's. Well, what is God's? What belongs to him? What originates in him? Creation? Well, yes, creation, known nowadays as the environment. How about human life? Immigrants, the poor, the unborn, the elderly, orphans. Do they belong to God or to Caesar? How about marriage, family, sexuality? Did these originate in the state? Are these Caesar's areas of competence? Do, do they belong to him? Conscience must have something to do with the nature of things. Render unto God what is God's. And so it must have something to do with the nature of things, with God's plan or purpose for his creatures, and with fulfilling our responsibility. Where this responsibility is abdicated, what happens? Well, the state encroaches more and more into that space intended for personal freedom, individual rights, which is tied to your and my responsibility. It's like when an adolescent, let's say, hasn't matured and his or her parents assume duties a mature person can do. The adolescent can do it. Well, the parent just takes over and the child remains immature. The state, like Caesar, assumes control of what is properly God's when consciences are poorly formed and acted upon. A corresponding worldview is then developed and assumed to be natural. Like the young adult who doesn't work, lives in his parents' basement, and comes to assume that, well, that's normal. That's just the way things are. And part of what has compounded and exacerbated the problem in our country is the squeezing of religion further and further to the sidelines. Now it's completely normal for a child to go all the way through high school with the entire curriculum, history, literature, science, music, and such, being completely secularized, as though everyone can adequately understand and navigate life without any reference to God, to the Creator, to Christianity's impact on our founding and morality. Caesar's dominion is becoming absolute which many, many Catholic schools implicitly consent to by simply attending a religion class to a curriculum that's otherwise largely secular. And we wonder why 13 is the average age a person disaffiliates with the Catholic Church. It's no wonder at all. We can't see things the way they are because our world view has been shaped by those who do not believe in God. Friends, can you see the importance of what God has called us to do as a startup parish with the patron of JP2? To build a church that testifies to the transcendent reality of God, to his importance, and to the worthwhile sacrifices necessary to make that happen to a place of intellectual and human education for our youth where their worldview isn't, what shall we say, dictated and restricted by Caesars. Our efforts are firstly an act of faith for the glory of God, 
but they are also patriotic and indispensable for our country, as our country's founders knew. Our Constitution was made only for a more religious people, John Adams said. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Or William Penn, those people who will not be governed by God will be ruled by tyrants. Let us never abdicate our responsibilities. Let our successors look back at us one day and say, they, like John Paul the Great before them, met the forces arrayed before them and prevailed.